Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 33 in the book of John entitled Warnings of Persecution, where we discuss John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, we need to understand the context. Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night before he's crucified, and he is getting them ready and through them, 20 centuries of Christians ready for a very difficult relationship with the surrounding world, mm. persecution. At the end of this chapter, he's going to say, I've, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So that they, their expectations will be set properly. And we're going to see, he'll say, the reason I'm telling you this is so that when these things happen, you won't lose your faith. Mm. So the warnings help us to expect persecution and not lose our faith when it comes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 15 of John chapter 16 so that we can hear the passage that we're looking at today. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, one question I think that rises to the surface here is why can't the Helper, the Holy Spirit, come unless Jesus goes away? Mm -hmm. I mean, let's say, you know, we want to have our cake and eat it too. Why, sure. why couldn't we have both? Well, I think we have to go then to the atoning work of Jesus. The reason that Jesus is going to go mm. is because he's going to finish the work the Father gave him to do, and that includes dying on the cross. So the Holy Spirit's coming, the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost is blood-bought. It is, it is purchased in blood. Mm. And so there's a sequence. It's just like, you know, saying to to Lazarus, Lazarus come forth, and then he comes forth. It's better than he comes forth, and then Jesus five minutes later says, Lazarus come forth. Or peace be still, it's even clearer with the wind and the waves. Mm -hmm. The storm mm -hmm. stills, it gets quiet, then Jesus puts out his hands and says, peace be still. No, the sequence is everything. So Jesus has to die on the cross, shed his blood, rise again from the dead, ascend to heaven, and then the Spirit comes. Then you know these events had to happen first. Now, Jesus says in verse 8 that the Helper comes to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What does convict mean in this context, and what is the connection between the world's sin and the fact that they don't believe in Christ? 
Okay, this word, I did a study on this word based or connected with Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, conviction of things not seen. Mm. Uh, that's um, uh, noun form, but then the verbal form is used, uh, noun form is only that one time, but the verb form is used many times, and this is one of the times. And as I studied it, I became convinced that what the word means is to present evidence to the end that someone is a sinner. Uh, it really has to do with like a court of law. So a, a convicting sermon means you've sinned, um, you know, to be convicted in a court of law. So the Holy Spirit's going to come and press in on the hearts of the world. He says the world. He will convict the world. He's going to press in on the hearts of the world um, their guilt or their sin in regard to these key areas. He says sin and righteousness and judgment, etc. So the Holy Spirit's convicting work is essential to the salvation of the world. Now Jesus goes on to elaborate on these here. How does Jesus explain the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit in verses 9 through 11? Yeah, okay, and I, so let's zero in on the first one. He's going to convict the world in regard to sin. So just aside from Jesus' words, we can see how essential this is to salvation. Mm -hmm. If people are not convicted by the Holy Spirit that they are sinners, they will not flee to Christ. Yeah. They will not believe in Jesus. But what does Jesus say? He will convict the world uh, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. That's what Jesus says. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus' explanation of each of these three is actually all that easy to follow. I don't fully understand it. But it seems like the, the central sin is to not believe in Jesus. So it could be that, just unfolding Jesus' words, the Holy Spirit comes, you get the facts of the gospel. Mm. You understand the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. You get all that, but you're not a believer. That's a sin. It's a sin to not believe in Jesus. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit presses in on you, saying, you're on the outside. You're under the wrath of God. You know the facts of the gospel, but you're not a Christian yet. So it is a sin to not believe in Jesus. And so to, to realize, I have got to rectify that, and the way I rectify that is to believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it is actually not okay to hear the gospel and not believe. That's a bad thing. Yeah. So first, sin because men do not believe in me. Secondly, in regard, in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What does that mean? Well, I think what it means is that Jesus is the perfect human being. He is what righteousness looks like for a human. He's the perfect man. But then he goes. He's, he's gone away. So how do we know what righteousness is? You have to be as righteous as Jesus to go to heaven, but he's not here. How do we know? How yeah. do we know? So the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world that you're not as righteous as mm. Jesus. And what that looks like is such and such. So now we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the writings of the apostles. Where do they come from? Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, no, this is who Jesus was. Are you like that? No. But his righteousness can be yours as a gift. The imputed righteousness of Jesus would mean nothing if it weren't for the four Gospels. Mm. We'd just be told, well, Jesus is an amazing, wonderful person, and we can be just like him. It's like, what does that even mean? Yeah. But instead, we have four full biographies of Jesus in which we see him interacting with people, dealing with people who hate him, all this sort of stuff, and then you start to learn what he's like. Mm. I was thinking today, by the way, of the man who struck Jesus during his trial before Annas and Caiaphas. Mm. You know, uh, Jesus said, I've spoken openly to the world, and, you know, where are your witnesses, he basically says. So this guy trying to curry favor with Annas smashes Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Imagine that, facing the second person in the Trinity, God in the flesh, and you just hit him. 
It's like, do you know who I am? No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if that man actually were up in heaven, if he actually were in the end redeemed? It's like, yes, and remembered what he did. I'm the one who hit Jesus in the face, but he forgave me. Wow. So the restraint, and it's just, mm. we just don't know who Jesus is. And so the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, you can't see me any longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned, Satan. So basically, here's how it works. If you're not a Christian, you belong to Satan. You're part of his possessions. Like the strong man, fully armed, guards his possessions. You're part of his kingdom. You're under his rule. Yeah. Your king stands condemned. Your king is going to hell, mm. and so are all his followers. You better get out from that kingdom. You better be transferred or rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. The Holy Spirit does all of that work. Wow. All of it. That's amazing. Andy, we've talked about verse 12 before in our own ability to understand certain doctrinal truths. Mm -hmm. What's the relationship between verse 12 and 13, and how does the Spirit guide Jesus' disciples into all truth? Wow, okay, verse 12. I have much to say to you more than you can now bear. Hmm. All right, this is huge. Yeah. All right, so first of all, it's I, I believe that this is important for pastors. Um, babes need milk, more mature people can handle meat. So therefore, I think we should sequence things in how we teach. Hmm. I think we should realize there's a limit to what people can hear in a given sermon, so I try to not preach too long. I think we have to be sensitive to what people are ready to hear. Is now the best time? Like, let's take an example. Uh, this is a very clear example of how parents need to be disabused of the concept that their children really are theirs more than they are God's. They aren't. They're more gods than they are yours. Mm -hmm. And it'd be good to know that before God chooses perhaps to take one of them home in an untimely fashion. And then you rage against God as though he's done something he had no right to do to take your son or your daughter. But it's just not true. They were gods and he entrusted them as a matter of stewardship to you. The question is, when do you give that teaching? Wow. When the child had died 12 hours ago? No. You weep. You put an arm around him, etc. I have much to say to you, more than you can now bear. Mm. So there's another time to talk about that. That's not it. So just sequencing. Now in a bigger eschatological sense, I believe in heaven, he'll be telling us stuff we couldn't handle here on earth. Mm. Like the activity of angels and demons, especially demons. It's like, you can't handle that. You don't, you don't want to know. Let me tell you something. You're surrounded every moment by overpowering evil forces. Mm -hmm. You're told it in scripture and it's kept a little bit vague. All right, so that we can make our way through. <laughs> In heaven, get to see just how much opposition there was because we'll be able to handle it. Um, there's more aspects. Why we had to suffer these things, like the very thing I just mentioned, the death of a child. More than you can now bear. In heaven, he'll give it to us. But here, it's not heaven and all that. It's a later in redemptive history. He's going to lay on them more things, but right now they can't handle it. And also that very night, they're exhausted. They're, they're filled with grief, filled with sorrow. They can't handle it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, he will guide you into all truth. Isn't that amazing? The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's yeah. going to guide you. Now, what does all truth mean? Well, all the truth you will get or need to get in this world. That's what I think he means. The truth you need for salvation. The Holy Spirit's come to do that. Hmm. Why does Jesus stress that the Spirit says nothing on his own? Mm -hmm. and how does that relate to the Spirit's ability to tell things that are to come? Well, Jesus says the same thing about himself in relation to the Father. I don't mm -hmm. say anything except what the Father told me to say. All the words I speak are the words the Father gave me to speak. Hmm. So all my words, they're really not mine. They belong to the Father. Well, he's saying the same thing now about the, 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 the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit doesn't say anything on his own. 
the the Father and the Son and the Spirit each have different roles in the economy of the Godhead and the economy of salvation. The Father rules and makes the plan. The Son executes the plan in obedience to the Father. The, the Holy Spirit applies the blood of the Lamb to individual elect people and does the convicting work we've just talked about. There's different roles, but they don't do anything independently. Hmm. It's not like some separate thing. Now, what's, this, what's the Spirit out there doing? Yeah. No, the Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus wants him to do. This is also a strong argument, I think, for definite atonement, that mm. Jesus died only for the elect. Because the, the Father elects only some and the Spirit redeems only some, but it wouldn't make sense for Jesus then to die for everyone. It really makes sense that all of them are doing exactly the same thing, mm. saving the elect. And so the Holy Spirit's right on schedule. He's doing exactly what Jesus wants him to do. You mentioned the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry a moment ago. Mm -hmm. How does the Spirit's teaching ministry bring glory to Christ as described in verse 14? Yeah, I think it's the unique um, privilege mm -hmm. and, and the role of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus. Yeah. I, I, some time ago, it's hard to even you know, put this into words. It's not even worth comparing. But I was watching a documentary on a very well-known rock band when I was in, in high school, the Eagles. And, and they had some big albums, Hotel California, all of a sudden it went out. But, um, you know, their, their fame has waned, all right? And, and you think about it, and they're still well-known. They're one of the all-time great bands. But there are other bands that had their moment in the sun, and then they wane. They, mm -hmm. they disappear, and then they're not famous anymore. Um, Jesus Christ is the most famous human being on planet Earth in every single generation. Think yeah. about that. So it's not so much that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' PR, you know, um, uh, company, etc. It's just that he sees to it. And keep this in mind also. Every baby that's born in the world born, is born in the world knowing literally nothing about Jesus. So that's pretty amazing. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by making him known. Wow. As the Son of God who died, who lived for the glory of God, who rose again, the Spirit's job is to do that in every generation. Mm. And this is an incredible passage, just talking about the deity of Christ and the deity of the Holy Spirit. How do we see that uh, as we come to the end of this mm -hmm. passage? How do we see the deity of Christ and the deity of the Holy Spirit on display? Yeah, we see uh, just the equality of the role. Uh, he says, I'm going to send another counselor to be with you forever. And the, uh, the Greek word another is another of the same kind. And so the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God in the flesh, and or not in the flesh, it's Jesus, I'm sorry I said that. He is God. Um, and so he uh, has the, the exact same commitment to truth. He has the same attributes. Uh, he is doing the same work. They have different offices, but we see uh, just the, the equality of the members of the Trinity in this teaching. And I think the more we meditate on this, the more in awe that we'll be of what the Holy Spirit has done in each of us who genuinely believe in Jesus and who read the scripture and who understand it by the illumination of the Spirit. It's a great work. Mm -hmm. There's so much in these first 15 mm -hmm. verses of chapter 16. Any final thoughts or takeaways for us as we close our time? Well, just, just being thankful. Mm -hmm. uh, thankful that the Holy Spirit has come, uh, that we are benefiting. I think something happened in my heart some time ago where I realized I owe my salvation as much to the Spirit as I do to Jesus. I wouldn't care about Jesus at all. Not even a little if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. And so I thank God for the ministry of the Spirit in my life. Well, thanks so much, Andy. This has been part two of episode 33 in the book of John. We would invite you to join us next time for episode 34, entitled Grief, Then Joy, where we'll discuss John chapter 16, verses 17 through 33. 
Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.